Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hey, y'all. This is another episode of Archaeo Animals, the podcast all about zooarchaeology. Uh, this is episode one, Zooarchaeology 101. And today we'll be talking about what zooarchaeology is, what we do as zooarchaeologists, and what our favorite things and least favorite things are about zooarchaeology. All right, hi y'all, it's Alex here, and with me as always is... Hello, Simona. So today we're all just gonna talk about what zooarchaeology is, just for some of y'all who don't know what that is. Um, Simona, what's the best way you think to explain this to the folks out there? <laughs> uh, well, I think as I mentioned, like in the previous episode, the way I like to look at it, it's the sort of, give me the bones of the dead animals and I'll tell you more about the dead people. But um, yeah. I guess in a way, what it boils down to, like, is it, I mean, it is sort of what it says on the tins, quite literally the study of animal remains from archaeological sites. Yeah, I mean, it's basically just looking at dead animals rather than dead people because i don't know about you but i think human bones are really hard to look at yeah, just, we, we, leave, we leave the people out and we just rummage through the dead people's rubbish instead yeah but we still learn about the dead people we just mostly look at the dead animals which are usually cooler let's be real yeah well because that, that's the thing cause i think like animal bones were not really um looked into as much sort of before the 70s when sort of zoo archaeology exploded as a discipline i think before we had not much attention was paid to animal bones and and now is slowly becoming more and more established how zoo archaeology is actually a fundamental tool in reconstructing the lives of ancient populations like you said like in the 19s by the 1970s it started became become more of a discipline but like even now i don't know about you but like i still see archaeologists who like can't be bothered with animal bones like those go in the spoil heap type stuff you know oh no no i've had my fair share of people moaning me like oh i'll just find animal bone oh, who cares but Maybe so they're like, actually, you can learn so much about it yeah don't keep tossing them do you know what you toss pottery and shells because i also don't really care for mollusks but other than that you should look at everything else because i mean the, the cool thing about zooarchaeologists actually it really does help you reconstruct the life of a population because they can tell you like not only like you the given sort of what they ate you can find out know how they transported goods and people what their economy was based on even like the environment they lived in in certain cases and well i guess if you're really 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 lucky the culture and belief system if you're lucky yeah and i think that's something that's like coming more and more um, in vogue with zooarchaeology these days is that I think when zooarchaeology first started, we were really looking at, you know, economy systems, 
uh, hierarchies, things like that. And now we're pushing more into like social implications and cultural implications. Well, because I think like you know. ritual has been a scary word <laughs> for the past few decades. Because it's only now that sort of is becoming a more like there's more a systematic approach of studying ritual instead of just tossing it there as an interpretation. Like I don't really know what the, what it is. Oh, it's ritual. It'll do. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, like, I will say, I'm one of those people, when I was in my undergrad, I would write ritual on exams when I forgot what certain artifacts were used for. But I am also someone who studies ritual with zooarchaeology now, so, you know. I guess it, I guess it depends actually, on what you look it. into, because, like, every person will have a, I mean, I find the definition of ritual is very subjective depending on whom you ask. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And, like... I mean, my specialty is like later prehistoric. So like in the Iron Age, you kind of see more of like, no, there's no like distinction between ritual and like every day. Do you know what I mean? But you do find that so the ritual and domestic spheres are a lot more intertwined the more yeah. you sort of go back in time. Basically what my flat looks like covered in crystals and cool new age stuff, you know. Same it's all thing. ritual. It's all ritual. Also, I just really like crystals. I think they're cute and shiny. <laughs> well, I think of the time when they're going to excavate our sewers and find all the pennies and the coins in there. Be like, oh, there must have been a ritual space of like some sort of like practice. I mean, I mean, yeah, you know, I I hoard money all the time, and I like to call that ritual, also known as being broke, really. But you know, they like I don't know, bottle caps by a bonfire. Maybe some sort of rite of passage for like the the youth that become men. <laughs> Probably that sounds now. It just sounds like you're making fun of my PhD right now because that's exactly what I'm writing down. <laughs> so we, I think we kind of covered what zooarchaeologists do more or less. We just stare deeply into the sockets of dead animals, huh? Well, it's because I, I can't speak as a zooarchaeologist because, of course, I'm um, I'm not a zooarchaeologist professionally. I'm, I'm working commercial archaeology, and I've read a fair amount of um, on zooarchaeology, but I don't practice it at the moment. So I can only speak from a fieldwork point of view. And what, in a more more generally, what zooarchaeologists do. So it's essentially all again boils down to like give them dead animals they'll tell you more about the dead people so i mean what's a good way to boil it down okay like, so you have your fill work project and of course you collect your animal bone and then you know that goes back to the post excavation department it gets nicely clean and labeled by context and all that and then a zoo archaeologist will stare at it <laughs> in confusion for a long long time and then in the end, you know, you'll get ID'd, so analysis will be done on the remains, and then they'll they'll draft a very pretty report with all their findings. I guess is essentially what it boils down to. Yeah, more or less. I mean, that's basically, I mean, technically, I'm not a professional zooarchaeologist because I'm still a baby PhD student. But um, I mean, that's my day to day, basically. I get uh, a bag of bones dropped on my desk, and then they're like, deal with that, Alex. And I'm like, oh, okay. And of course, they never wash it, so I have to wash it. No. Yeah, archaeologists do not give zooarchaeologists the kind of respect that we need, and this is what the whole podcast is about. <laughs> like, please give us clean bone. <laughs> yeah, um, and as for becoming a zooarchaeologist, which is surprisingly something I've been asked uh, by other people, is like, you know, how do you get into zooarchaeology? 
Um, I mean, it's just kind of something you pick up along the way as a specialty. I mean, you might be able to speak more about this because you kind of almost do it on the side, even though I'd say you're more of a zoo zoo archaeologist than I am. Oh, in my case, it was was literally just a case of persevere, persevere, just keep on persevering. Because with Mm -hmm. me, I I almost had to retrain entirely because I've got degrees in weird and wonderful subjects because I've done, like, you name something, I've tried it. Because, um, because I think I guess because of the conception that sort of the public has about the archaeologists and what they do, and having that perception myself a couple of years ago, I never thought that that was a viable career option. So it's something I always put to the one side as a passion I've always had, but said I can't really do anything with it. So there's no point until I actually found out much later on that it was actually something that I could do. So I started off like just doing as many courses as I could. There's a fair few like distance learning opportunities and MOOCs, which is like massive open online courses, which are completely free for you to do. And I think there is one on osteoarchaeology, like for human osteology, not quite for animals, but it does teach you the basic principles and you can sort of like go along from there. And I've just like applied for jobs until I got a job as an archaeologist and then keep doing courses and retraining entirely. And I've been working in the field for three years now, um, doing Psycom on Twitter, um, well, I guess the podcast to the side now, and uh, just yeah, keep on persevering because same like to teach myself animal bone, of course, I have to invest in an amount of books, which usually academic books don't tend to be very cheap. So there was a lot of saving up involved, but I've also invested in a reference collection because I find that that's the best way to learn and how to identify animal bone because it's just, it, you can read about it all you want, but it's not the same as looking at it because it's something that I find myself with flint. I keep reading about flint, but I still know nothing about flint. <laughs> if I was to find it, I would not be able for the life of me to tell you whether that's worked. Oh, God, just, Sam, yeah. <laughs> I don't encounter flint in my day-to-day work, so I just, uh, I'm lost. It's just something like... Yeah, anything that's not an animal bone, I'm just like, I don't know what that is at all. It could be like, it could be like a literal gun or something, like a sword, and I'd be like, I don't know what that is at all. It's not an animal. <laughs> it's just I've got a, a, an understanding of sort of like the various finds that you have, although that's mostly for the Roman period because in archaeology in Britain you do tend to find Roman stuff yeah. more than anything. Like, let's say it, so my, my people went everywhere <laughs> and stayed here for a wee while. They just won't go. I, I escaped my home country, and again the, the Romans just keep following me wherever I go. Damn. Think about this way though: the Romans basically gave you a job. I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> um, I'm going to say, but yeah, just, I don't know, but you like go on walks and like you can find a lot of like sort of bones in the woods or like sheep and deer or not. Just use them, of course, you know, make sure you have permission to actually grab it and, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's an episode for another day of just going Oh, that, that's like, like, oh, kind of worms. That's sort of the, the ethics and uh, legislation ugh. of uh, keeping animal remains with a yeah, different, yeah, tangent, tangent. But yeah, essentially just persevere and keep going at it, like, until something happens. <laughs> well, there's definitely, I will say, that sometimes you can find, like, I know, like, Sheffield. Uh, for those of you in the UK, uh, University of Sheffield does like zoo archaeology short courses. So if you're interested in that, that might be something good to do. You can find short courses probably in most places, uh, most countries at least. Uh, 
specifically on zooarchaeology. And I think even like zooarchaeology adjacent subjects might be a good way to kind of get into it. Like just osteology in general, zoology in general. I mean, that's kind of the resources I used when I started getting into it more. That's the thing, because it's sort of like zooarchaeology in itself is a bit of a weird mix because you have you have the zoology aspect of it. You've got a fair bit of anthropology thrown in there. Yeah. And it's a nice mishmash of all the things I like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. Which and you know, and it's also just exciting to look at different animals. I think that's the coolest thing is that you get like a nice breadth of different types of animals that you get to deal with in comparison to say just doing human osteology. Not to call out the human osteologists out there, y'all do good work, but zooarchaeology is more exciting. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Divisive know, episode. Although one. usually I tend to be the only one who finds it exciting, so I'll be like, "Oh, I found this like, species X. That, that that's not very common." And everyone's like, "Meh." <laughs> yeah, we're um, in that weird in between part. I think where like we're not finding human bones, which is exciting for most people, and we're not finding dinosaurs, which is exciting for everyone else. Oh, I get that. Like every time, every time. Yeah. Do you find dinosaur bones? No, I wish sometimes because I'm sick of finding sheep and fish, to be honest. Oh, fish. Oh, oh, oh fish. Again, other episode. Fish. <laughs> if anyone listened to um, the episode of Woman Archaeology I did, uh, yeah, I I hate I hate fish so much. Uh, I mean, like, fair play, chapeau to all the ones who, who focus on fish and study fish because that stuff's incredibly important, but just... Me? No, 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 no. You are the strongest people on this planet, those of you that specifically study fish bones. Um, <laughs> yes. See, like, I would love to... That's something that, like, I think we need to, like, talk to one of them to find out, like, how... Like, it's one thing to become... How to become a zooarchaeologist, but how do you specifically get into fish bones? Because that is... I would run away from it, so... Uh, and I do. I constantly run away from it, so, you know uh but yeah um i think those are the best tips to for anyone out there who wants to get into zooarchaeology uh it'll be a little bit of kind of finding your own way doing your own research but once you do that i mean there's plenty of sort resources on the internet uh like boneid.net is a great resource for uh references um do you have any other references you th can think of from the websites and stuff I've got one for fish because I think in the Department of Archaeology of yep. Nottingham University bone, they got yeah. a, quite a nice fish database thing. So if you do want to get into fish, well, one I admire you, <laughs> two that yeah, check them out. Um, and also, you know what, Simona's uh, Twitter is a great resource for archaeology as well. She has so many good reference photos on there. Um, we have a hashtag, uh, hashtag archaeoanimals that other uh, archaeologists, uh, zoo archaeologists specifically, are adding to. So if anyone out there is really interested, definitely take a look at that. Um, and uh, yeah, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so, yeah, to wrap it up, essentially, yeah, what zoo archaeologists do? They, they just stare at bones of yeah, dead animals, uh, calculate all sorts of interesting things that, uh, I don't know, like age, sex, time of death well not time of death quite more like season of death or all kill off age um, I wish time of death I'd love that if it was just like printed on text it's just like like 32 BC at uh, 1532 awesome we don't have to spend money on carbon 14 dating no we'll, we'll 
I guess no, you might have to, depending. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean. On the side, but that, that tends to fall into the more fancy pants side of, like, uh, analysis that I don't know too much about. So anything like with C14 or isotope or DNA, I mean, I wish, but it's something that doesn't really tend to happen in the commercial sector unless something there's something really exciting that calls for it. Yeah, I mean, that's... I think it's something more for sort of the academic yeah, side. Yeah, I can talk about when we get to it. But yeah, um, I think already we've got some pretty good uh, information. Hopefully you out there kind of know what a archaeologist is. If not, um, sorry, I guess. But you'll, you'll figure it out eventually if you keep listening on, I think. I don't know about you. <laughs> but yeah, um, so after the short break that we're about to have, um, we'll be talking a little bit more about what animal bones can specifically tell us in the past, um, which is, uh, short answer, a lot. You'd be surprised how much you can find out just from animal bones. I think we got into a little bit during this segment, but yeah, there's so much <laughs> you can learn. Maybe too much. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hi, and welcome back to the first episode of Archaeo Animals. We're talking all about zooarchaeology and what it is. Um, so, and other tangents. And, and always tangents. I mean, this really should be the Archaeo Animals slash tangent podcast, but, you know, that's that's a mouthful. Not, I mean, when we start making T-shirts, because we will have T-shirts, you know. And mugs, or maybe shower curtains. Man, we should get shower cur curtains for all two people listening to this. One of them being my mom. Uh, anyway. And my mother. So we get, yep. <laughs> Our moms. So, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about what we actually learn about. Because, I mean, we talked about in the first segment that, you know, we look at dead animals, of course. We find stuff about the humans that may have lived with these animals just by looking at the animals. But, like, specifically what animal bones can tell us about the past. So, yeah. Um, I mean, you have probably more experience with, like, Stuff like aging and sexing as you someone who, well i mean as someone who kind of who who works more because the way i always see it is i feel like you have more experience with that kind of stuff and i can probably speak more to the sciencey type of stuff with fancy university equipment that i get to handle as a phd student um well i guess i guess we discussed in the first segment a little bit Essentially, like, there's a plethora of things that animal bones can tell us. So, like, usually what that gets used for is to look at how animals were exploited in the past. So, of course, that gives you all sorts of inference about how ancient people lived, what they ate, uh, what their economy was based on, how they transported stuff, and all sorts of um, 
weird and wonderful things about how they used to live. <laughs> so usually I think for like the things that we look at, of course, you know, when you get your nice bag of bones, there's hopefully clean from the field work stage of the project. Of course, the first thing that you're going to have to do is to ID that fragment confident, confidently. sorry i just i mean yeah confidently put that in quotation marks for sure well because the thing like of course uh not all of the fragments which were collected in the field will retain the sufficient characteristics to you know that will allow you to id it confidently as in like do not expect a nice fancy complete bone although you do get those sometimes but it's mostly tiny little bits of shaft that could have come from just anything under the sun. So I guess a good piece of advice for that is that if you're not 100% sure, just avoid biasing your sample. Just take a little step back. So if you're unsure about species, just go with genus. If you're unsure about genus, just, yeah, small, medium, large mammal and leave it at that. Because, I mean, the way I see it, hand-collected bone is biased in itself as it is because, of course, it will only be you will only receive the bones that the excavator himself or herself um, have noticed and picked up. And of course, the living assemblage is quite different from the death assemblage. So in a way, it's sort of biased in itself from the get-go. So you want to avoid sort of mudding, muddling the waters for yourself further. So if you're not sure, just, just leave it, leave it on the one side. And um, <laughs> I guess in terms of ID, you just... You mostly look at the morphology for the most part, although there are tools such as biometry, which may be needed for slightly tougher IDs. So, for example, sheep and goat, which I'm sure we'll get to soon enough. And perhaps the, the, Alex can yeah, the great mention a little more about biometry than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I was just going to ask you, uh, what's your favorite thing to get when someone's like, here's a bag of faunal bones and you open it up and it's like stuff that isn't faunal bones? Like personally for me, um, one of my favorite things was straight up uh, a shell, like just a shell, like a perfect looking shell. Like, you know, like like so shell looking, like, do you know how shell looking I'm talking about? You know, like Little Mermaid, like that shell. And, like, and I remember just like picking up being like. <sighs> oh, that or the devil's toenails. That's like Griffey, the sort of. Uh, I'm going to shot myself in the foot. I'm going to go with Cretaceous. I'm sure they're not from the Cretaceous, but not archaeological. Devil's toenails? What is... What is... Oh, I think that's what they're called in Britain. They saw this bivalve okay. mollusk. Oh, okay. the, the actual name of it is Griffey. Yeah, this... Y'all are weird. <laughs> you guys have... Like... Uh, if you take a little walk so in the, on a field in Britain, you'll find it's plastered with them. Really? I, I, yeah, okay. That is... Yeah, I think in folklore, they're, they're known as devil's toenails. Okay, okay. Yeah, you guys... Because really... I guess they sort of look like a toenail, just a very gross toenail. Like, yeah, the stereotype is real. You guys have weird fantasy names for everything, huh? <laughs> don't look at me i'm not british yeah that is true i've just uh, been here for a while sort of growing mold in a corner you've been here longer than me so you're more british that's true uh but yeah um so yeah aging and sexing uh are two probably basic things that you can do when you first get animal bones and you've identified them by species and by element or by what you know bone it was in the body um so aging and sexing can be difficult because like they are specific to 
different types of bones, aren't they? Like, there are certain bones that you can use to tell the age. Um, there are certain bones that you can use to tell the, the sex of the animal. Um, and of course, some bones are more reliable than others, and the methods tend to be very species specific. Uh, yeah, I mean, how like my binder of recording information is so huge at this point—it's <laughs> probably as lo- longer than my actual PhD dissertation is going to be. Sorry, I've just got loads of sort of um, laminated sheets of like all the aging methods that are sort of like plastered in my well, they're not plastered in my study at the moment because I've just moved houses in my studies, just boxes. But normally you just have like, yeah, aging, sexing methods just like plastered everywhere in front of my desk. <laughs> so I just don't lose sight of it because it's something like you get a knack for it with time, yeah. but you need to get into the habit of it. So like you'll have to check because of course studies have been done. So for example, for aging, one of the most well, one of the two like most commonly used methods is epiphyseal fusion. Yeah, yeah, that's what I usually and, use. And um, for that, like studies, of course, you'll know about it. But, like for those who don't know, I mean, studies have been carried out to est- establish when the bones fuse, like at what stages do they fuse in different mammals. So that it's very species specific and very much element specific. So you can see which ones fuse earlier, which ones fuse later, and at what age. So there's a lot of muscle memory. Yeah. Uh, well, not muscle memory. There's a lot of memory involved. There's a lot of bone <laughs> memory, I guess. So. Uh, but yeah, um, and then we can go on to, you know, uh, other things that we can learn just by looking by eye uh, is also pathology, which unfortunately isn't really a thing that has much research on in zooarchaeology, at least in comparison to human osteology. So that can be kind of a pain for us. Because in a way, like pathology in itself is quite difficult because um in a way of course like there's no way like there's a lot of diseases that will just not leave a trace on the bone and usually when it gets to the stage where it leaves a mark on the bone it's usually it must have gone to a certain stage a sort of chronic infection for it to actually have modified Mm -hmm. the bone and um yeah i guess more studies have been done with humans but with animals really not so much i mean there's a, a fair few like interesting books and things coming out in the last couple of years, which I've enjoyed reading. But yeah, I think the problem is that I think there's more doctors who have gone into human osteology slash archaeology than veterinarians have gone into zoo archaeology, which is a shame. You guys should join us. If you're a veterinarian out there and you're bored of your life, please become a zoo archaeologist because I'm sick and tired of uh, not knowing all the pathologies that I find. Well, I guess with humans, there'll be more of a sample. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Not not more of a sample per se, but there would have been more of a record. So, say if you have um, medical, so a, say a university or a museum as a, a human sort of osteology medical collection, there might the chances are there might be more of a yeah. record of sort of like known pathologies that the person would have suffered mm. during life. It'll be a lot easier to sort of identify that in the archaeological record. As in, like, maybe it's not so much the case with yeah, animals? Yeah, probably. Uh, but, you know, when you can find pathologies, it can tell you about maybe how the animal died, how if life was a bit harder for them because of certain illnesses or, you know, disabilities. Um, so, yeah, it's something you can also extrapolate a lot of information from. And now I think the biggest one that we need to hit right now is taphonomy, because <laughs> that is huge. 
Well, uh, I think we can do about 20 episodes about Tophonomy and still not be quite done with it. Yeah, I mean, that's my PhD is on Tophonomy and I, I still feel like I'm not going to have enough time to talk about all of it in my PhD, which will be, uh, I think, a billion pages from what I can tell from other PhD students. So, No, okay. what we could boil it down to is just bone modification, whether it's been modified by the soil, by another animal gnawing on the bone, or human modification if it's been turned into tools, if it's been cooked or prepared, portioned, then we'll be able to see that in our assembly. I think that's where, you know, the, the human part comes in, where you can look at an animal and still kind of get information about the humans that may have lived on whatever site you're working on, is when it goes to anthropogenic uh, or human-made um, modifications, like like you said, butchery, working them into tools, things like that, um, you know. Well, even it could actually tell you something about other animals as well. So, like, say in your assemblage, you get a lot of cattle bones that actually have tooth marks that you manage to narrow down to dog, even though you've not found any dogs on your archaeological ah, yeah. project. You know there was a dog around somewhere going around and gnawing on people's stuff. Yeah, definitely. Oh man, that it's. I always love finding gnawing. I don't know why. I think it's. I think it's great, especially dog gnawing because they get like all shiny from all the drool. Ah, no, it's very nice, and um, of course, and also you... disgusting, but nice. Oh, no, it, it, it's all right. I'm sort of like I'm, I'm doing that experimentally because <laughs> I'm just giving a load of like pig bones to my dog, and she's having a whale of a time with them. So I'm gonna like pick them up in a fair few like months or a year's time and see like what stage the bonus got to. <laughs> yeah, can I borrow your dog actually for some uh, ar- uh, experimental archaeology, please? Thank you. Sure. <laughs> Just send her over, it's fine. As a little tangent, she covers her bones with socks to cash them. Oh, that's so good. Why aren't we just doing a dog podcast? Well, there will be an episode on dogs, so I guess, like, much like but those the are episode we had dead dogs. <laughs> they're, they're dead, though, which are cool, but still dogs. I, I do love them. Yeah, they are still dogs, but yeah. Uh, Tophonomy in itself is a huge can of worms. It will, it technically covers like everything <laughs> that we've talked about. Um, and we'll definitely be doing a future episode or episodes, I guess, uh, covering that. But I'm trying to think anything else that the animal bones can tell us, um, you know? Um, yeah, pathology, Tophonomy, age. Six. Oh, I guess like an interesting um, sort of in, in terms of looking at how the animals were exploited, if we go back to the aging method, there's one very interesting thing that it can tell you in terms of the kill-off pattern. Because, mm-hmm. of course, once you get the kill-off pattern, you get inference of how the animals were exploited and what products the ancient peoples were trying to get out of them. So now, say, for example, in your assemblage, you find like you've got a load of cow. And you find that they're mostly adults or elderly, then you could perhaps argue that they were used for as working animals, perhaps for traction mm-hmm. and sort of things like that. So, like looking at sort of the demographics of a population through aging could also be very interesting, so to show you what sort of products they were being exploited for and things like that. Yeah, no. Um, and which is the technical right. term, things like that. So uh, we can also, if we can talk a bit more about, you know, science and zooarchaeology, how we are having more and more advances in science that make 
doing analysis a little bit easier, I guess, in some way. Um, maybe this is more on my end, but um, isotopes, uh, stable isotopes has become, I don't know if you've seen this, it's very uh, trendy among zoo archaeologists these days, that and ADNA. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah, I, stuff I, I, that I don't really understand. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing is that it's just keeping up with science and advances in the kind of technologies we have. But, you know, isotopes is great and it's something that I actually can do. Uh, I, I'm smart enough to do that or at least trained enough to do that. But that tells you, uh, depending on what isotope you use to, uh, to analyze, it could be carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, strontium, I think that's it. Um, you can look at diet, you can look at movement, you know, where, what regions are these animals going through, seasonality, things like that. Um, and yeah, ADNA is this huge thing now, which I don't understand at all, so I won't even bother to try to explain it. We're going to have to get a, a good guest to talk about that, I think. Oh, no, absolutely. It's super interesting, though. I'm just, I just, I, it's just all mumbo jumbo to me, to be honest. Okay, um, so shall we pause for the third segment? Or did you have anything to add? I think that's it. But um, yeah, so I think uh, I think we've covered most of the things that we'll have it, that we can do with uh, animal bones. And uh, yeah, the Archaeology Podcast Network has partnered with T Public to bring you some awesome gear that looks good promotes archaeology, and puts a few pennies in our pockets so you can get free podcasts. Check out our designs at arcpodnet.com slash shop. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop. Want some all-weather vinyl stickers for your water bottle, clipboard, or whatever else? Check out our show stickers at arcpodnet.com slash stickers, and we'll ship you some today. That's arcpodnet.com slash stickers. Now back to the show. Hey guys, uh, welcome back to the first episode of Archaeo Animals. We're talking about zooarchaeology, everything about it. Well, not everything, but most things about it. And uh, this time around, I think we're going to get a little personal and talk about, you know, how we got into zooarchaeology. So I think you kind of talked about it a bit when we first started our podcast, Simona. Yeah, just like I stumbled <laughs> upon zooarchaeology and I'm just sort of bumbling along. Trying to get into the field, slowly but surely. <laughs> I think that's everyone anywhere. We're just all bumbling along, trying to make our way through life. Essentially, yeah. Don't yeah what about yourself? Okay, so my story is probably more uh, funny because... Um, so I did my undergrad in classical archaeology, and uh, halfway through it, I realized I hated classical archaeology because um, pottery and statues and uh, all that stuff is really boring to me, <laughs> uh, especially architecture. Oh, my God. I had a class, like a Greek archaeology class, where we read a, the most boring book I've ever read in my life about uh, the architecture of bathhouses. And it got like into the nitty gritty of like angles. And I was like, my, my God, someone read, like wrote this down I with their hands. <laughs> It was just, it was like chapter one. This is the like right angles used in bathhouses. And I was just like, I, I, if this is what archaeology is, I hate it. <laughs> it was not my thing. But then, um, then I, uh, went and did some, uh, excavation and I worked a lot with animal bones. I was like, oh, this is cool. Uh, and then I was, you know, 
going to do my master's somewhere. And I was thinking about doing it at the same institution, Hunter College, uh, that uh, I did my undergrad, but the, I knew that their uh, master's and PhD programs kind of focused more on zoo archeology. span And I'm like, eh, you know, I don't know if I really like it and I don't want to hold myself into like a corner or whatever. So I'll just move across an ocean to England and you know, try out archaeological sciences. And look at me now, I've taken out hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt just to do the thing that I could have just stayed home and do <laughs> and have done. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, that's the, the, the greatest irony of my life is just like, yeah, you know, I blew $200,000 basically to do something that I could have just done in New York. but. Honestly, I think... I was that cultural experience. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I think, um, like, I don't want to speak for every American uh, institution, but I feel like, at least where I was, you really focus more on, like, not even theory, but, like, it was, like, art history almost. And um, I think they hit more on the sciences in this country. So it's, I definitely... Well, I guess it very much depends on what program you go for and... Because like some universities are more sort of science focused than others. Mm-hmm. Well, not even science. I think like just practicality. Like, in a lot of places in America, you can graduate with your archaeology degree and never have ever excavated at all. Like, not even like done a little bit of handling of anything, which is wild. Well, I guess even in this country, I think they're trying to bring it into sort of mandatory field work. Because even here, like, it's more and more common. But I'm not sure whether it's actually sort of mandatory for you to do field work. I mean, most people tend to, mm-hmm. but it tends to be, a, there's an issue because there's quite a gap between research archaeology and commercial archaeology. Yeah. So usually there's still some refinement that needs to do it because the way we work in the commercial sector, it's quite different from the research sector. Mm-hmm. So there's still like, I think that what they're also bringing university, they're actually bringing commercial archaeology work experiences for people to actually see whether that's the stuff they'll be, that they will be into. Because maybe you study archaeology for like, you spend three, four years of your life and a lot of money, and then you find yourself at the bottom of a well <laughs> on the 20th of December, and it's like minus three and you're covered in mud, and you're like, every choice I've made in my life has led to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, at the University of Bradford, we uh, we have like, I think they may have mandatory field work. And they also have placement years uh, for archaeology students, which I really wish I had as an undergrad. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm doing okay, kind of just, you know, trying things out and stuff. But now I'm, like, really into zooarchaeology. Um, obviously, you'd, you'd hope so, because I'm, I'm hosting a zooarchaeology podcast. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, let's... Uh... I guess how, how we got an interest in it in the floor. I guess you talked a bit about it sort of why zoo archaeology out of all things <laughs> yeah well i mean like i also i'm like i don't know about you but like i'm like a doer like you know how there's a different types of learning like i have to really do something before i kind of get it so working on site with animal bones and like the thrill of finding like a whole cow under a, a, a the foundation of a house really got me into like oh this is actually really cool and i think i can actually be kind of good at this thing uh really helped me get into it yeah, because I think for me, it was sort of like um, 
a best of both worlds sort of thing. Well, not necessarily best of both worlds, but like a nice medium. Mm-hmm. The thing with me, like I owe my passion to archaeology, sort of for archaeology, yeah. to my mum. Also, like, well, she used to like read me about archaeology at bedtime, Aww. or like a paleoanthropology and the Leaky family and all that. And that was my bedtime story. Like, Hi, mum. <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of like, um, thanks to my dad, I sort of I've got this sort of relentless passion for the natural world and animals, and just I'm a bit of a tree hugger myself. So, like, ever since I was a child, I was like, I want to be a vet. I mean, I know I changed my mind. I want to be an archaeologist. And it'll just keep oscillating back and forth until, like, yeah, I am an archaeologist and I'm interested in dead animals. So it's win-win-ish. You have such a nicer story than I do. Like, yeah, I just kind of fell into it. I mean, I, when I was in high school, I was actually aiming to go into uh, fashion design. Look at me now. The most unfashionable person. Animal bone. Yeah, that's true. Uh, But yeah, let's uh, keep talking about this. Uh, What do you think would you say is your favorite thing about zooarchaeology? Like, as someone who kind of practices it, I guess, even if you're not a professional one, you're still a zooarchaeologist to me, in my heart. Hmm. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, I guess it'll it'll be the sort of the haha. Oh, moment. yeah, no, that's exactly what I was thinking, too. It's because, like, zooarchaeology is like a puzzle. I mean, all archaeology is like a puzzle. But there's something about zooarchaeology, I think, because we really have to get into the whole, like, what species is this? What kind of bone is this? And when you kind of, when it all clicks, it's so satisfying. From a fieldwork point of view, uh, even, like, if it's something, I don't know, like a pathology, yeah. which, in my experience, is not something that's terribly common to find. Mm. But, for example, if you find, I don't know, like, uh, signs of um, spavin, just for those who don't know, it's um, an infectious disease, well, inflammatory disease that can affect cattle if they're used for traction. So you'll find the, the um, sort of metatarsals and t- uh, metatarsal and tar- tarsals that sort of get used together because of, like, the inflammation, like, caused by repetitive traction. Yeah. Anyway, that's usually a good indicator that it, that particular cow was used as a working animal. And then, like, I don't know, you're digging a ditch and you find something like that. And you're like, oh, th- this looks weird and painful. What is it? Oh, haha, that's pavin. Nothing. <laughs> or it could be just something much sillier than that. And you just find a bone of a species that you don't usually find. So, with me, if you find anything that's sort of cat related, because cats are so rare in the archaeological record, if anyone says, like, even softly that they found a cat, that you'll hear me scream from three miles away. <laughs> and... Oh, that's the noise I've been hearing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you hear something weird, like, wailing. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of, like, how I feel, too. Like, even the small things. Like, the other day, I was looking at bones, and there was just one bone, I was just struggling so hard to, to figure out what it was. And then I, like, turned it over, and then realized it was, like, a bird scapula. <laughs> I was like, oh, huh, yeah, just looking at it the wrong way. Uh, but, you know, even those kind of moments are great. And it's also good for me because I don't I don't know how to do, like, Sudoku or anything. So this is as close as I get. Yeah, but it's a nice, like, mind puzzle. In a way, it's sort of, like, n- not quite find a difference. But it's, like, especially if you've got a reference collection, like, you've got your uh, partial bones. Like, okay, like, that, that kind of looks like dog. Yeah, like, matching, basically, which is pretty satisfying once you're like ah i found it it's you know whatever 
Or not found. <laughs> That's how I feel like all the time. But I mean, not to get negative, but we can turn it into what's your least favorite thing about zoo archaeology, which I mean, I talk about a lot because I'm a by nature a very negative person. <laughs> I, I suspect some pigs are coming our way. <laughs> Like, it's not even just pig teeth, okay? Listeners at home, you're going to learn that I really don't like pig teeth. I'll probably mention it in every episode, but, like, it's not just pig teeth. I think teeth in general kind of skeeve me out because with animals, they get so worn. It's just, ugh, ugh, it's so gross. (laughs) I like love teeth. I mean, they're great because they're uh, they're so easy to ID, but, like, they're also kind of gross looking. Well, because I guess that you're more likely to find teeth with pathology. Pull them both because their teeth preserve so well. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that no, I, I, I love teeth. It's more like you just, just yeah, fish. No, don't, don't give me any fish. It's important. It, it's great that people do it, but no. Yeah, speaking of someone who has done fish, it's um, yeah, it, it's awful. Um, I mean, they're very important. Let's always put that as a disclaimer. Fish are, <laughs> fish are animals too, and they're very important. That said, yeah, fish are important too. But that said, they were put here on this earth by the devil to uh, ruin my life specifically because, God forbid, I get sent a bag full of fish bones and then I'll cry for like old ribs. Oof! Don't even give ribs. Ribs are the worst. That's the one I'm like. Well, I'm probably just gonna not be able to ID the species. (laughs) Well, because you like, you pretty much can't, can you? There's some. I mean, like, pig ribs, I think, have, are a little bit more distinct. And, like, obviously, if they're pretty small, you can. You, I think you can probably uh, narrow it down a bit. Yeah, but you're like, small mammal, medium-sized mammal. Oh, I definitely get that. Like, that's. I, I do hate that sometimes when you get down to it and you're just like, I guess I can just ID it to medium-sized animal. Well, that, that's, that's all you can do. <laughs> Unless someone comes up with a beautiful sort of method to ID ribs, we would love to hear from you. Yeah, that is actually, if we're going to put in more requests, uh, can someone please find a better way to ID ribs? Because my brain hurts constantly. It's a lot of chin scratching. Yeah. Also, I feel that way about vertebrae too sometimes. I'm not very good with vertebrae. Just well, like small bones. I'm okay with sort of the... the- Atlas, an axis, maybe? Yeah, yeah, that. Basically that. But anything else, I'm just like, like, I know what it is, which is nice. I can be like, that's a vertebrae. But I mean, I think that's where it begins and ends, more or less. Yeah, because I can sort of tell you, identify it where in the spine it is. It's in the so spine. So like cervical, thoracic, lumbar, or sort of uh, caudal, caudal, whatever the way you pronounce that in English. <laughs> Coddle. Coddle? Coddle. The tail vertebrae. Yeah, it's weird. These are words that I've never said out loud to another human being, so... No, I don't think I have either. Because I just keep reading about it, and of course not being a native speaker, like some things I'll just probably keep saying wrong until the end of time. It took me seven years to find out that it's radiator, not radiator. I I think I say radiator, but that might be just an accent thing. I don't know, I just kept saying radiator until someone pointed it out to me like two years ago. Like, do, do you realize it's radiator, right? And I was like, oh, 
<laughs> I can slightly I can slightly beat you on that because I used to think I used to say self uh, deprecating. I used to say self depreciating for the longest time until my friend literally took me aside and went, Alex. It's not self-depreciating. It's self-deprecating. And my whole world changed. It was amazing. <laughs> I'll never have that feeling again. <laughs> but yeah, off topic a bit. But um, I mean, yeah. So um, just kind of wrapping up this episode, our first episode. Um, you know, any tips you have for anyone else who is an uh, aspiring zooarchaeologist, a uh, just beginning zooarchaeologist? As I said, I can't repeat, I can't stress that enough. Just persevere persevere just 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 keep going <laughs> uh, yeah and talk to other archaeologists um you know twitter may be a, a hellhole but uh i think the archaeology community there is pretty decent um i mean i'm in there so it can't be great but you know it's all right <laughs> well, i think in a way sort of science twitter itself is a great way to sort of like connect people and because unlike other social network is more content based yeah more than a popularity contest so you tend to let like, you look at people that post stuff that interests you, like not because they're your second cousin by your mother's side, like Facebook sort of thing. <laughs> so you kind of... Yeah, no, um, definitely. Uh, if, if there's any aspiring uh, zooarchaeologists out there, like I said, we uh, occasionally, me and Simona both use the hashtag uh, archaeoanimals, which is... Uh, by chance, the name of our podcast as well. Uh, and it's, you know, a place that we kind of want to be a place where zooarchaeologists can converse with each other easily, right? Yeah, and also there's a lot of, like, sort of description photos, including my cat and dog, which is always a plus. <laughs> All right, so I think that does it for our first episode. Um, I want to congratulate us for getting through it without dying. I think Whoa! that's a, a, st- a step in the right direction. Uh, and my next... laptop button exploded. <laughs> Yeah, that's good too, which I think that goes into the dying thing, because if your laptop exploded, I assume you would die. But um, just want to point out that our next episode coming out will be about farms, Uh, all about farms, uh, domestic animals, more about farms. We're all going to sing Old MacDonald How to Farm and... uh... Scratching. (laughs) Yeah, basically. But yeah... um... Oh, yes, of course. Uh, But yeah, if you have any questions for us specifically about uh, farm animals and domestic animals in archaeology, or if you just have a general question about zooarchaeology, use the hashtag uh, archaeoanimals and uh, we'll probably find it and we'll answer it next uh, episode. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, that does it, I think, for this episode of Archaeoanimals. I've been your host, Alex. And I've been Simona. Who is another host? I'm just going to point that out. <laughs> not, I tried. Not just, not just some random person who showed up and started talking. Oh, I know. Oh. I mean, you can, Ray. We can change it. But yeah, uh, tune in next time. And uh, that's about it. <laughs> listening to Archeo Animals. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. Also, the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves, the hosts and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of our institution, employers, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. Ooh, 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 ooh. 
show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.